You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Southside Baptist Church, located in Florence, South Carolina. We now have two services, a classic service at 8.30 and a modern service at 11 o'clock. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. That is a classic. We're going to be in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we'll start right at the beginning as we continue this series, Healthy, Happy, Whole. And the title of this message is The Truth About Trials. The Truth About Trials. And... uh, a lot of Clemson fans can relate to this message this morning. Amen. We love picking on you guys a little bit. But that's because you win a lot. Amen. You do. Anyway. Hey, let's move on. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 1. It says, this letter is from James, which, by the way, is the half-brother of Jesus. A slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. So these are... Um, Jewish believers, Messianic Jews. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. And he will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Let us pray. Father, As we dive into your word, as we are reminded to count it all joy when we have trials. And that can be hard to do, but God, I know with you all things are possible and that all the things we face are for our good. For those who love you, you work everything out. We love you. We praise you. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, my... Oldest child, my only daughter, my favorite daughter, uh, Gracie, who many of you know, she sings up here from time to time, and uh, she's graduating high school this year. I know it's it's uh, they, the kids grow up fast, don't they? And but when she was a little girl, supr- not surprising, shouldn't be surprising that she always loved watching shows as a little girl, as a little thing um, of different shows that had a lot of singing in it. Well, she sings, right? And one movie that we watched a ton was Beauty and the Beast. She loved to watch Beauty and the Beast. And she would dress up like a princess like Belle or Cinderella. And we would watch Beauty and the Beast uh, about a bazillion times, it seemed, right? And I got to know Beauty and the Beast quite well. And if you know the plot of the story, you have Belle, who is a bookworm and loves to read. Her father is an inventor, kind of the town, kind of kind of weird in in the town. But he's an inventor and he's misunderstood. And of course, he gets lost in the woods. Um, you know, um, as he's out and about, he gets lost, and the wolves start to attack, and the beast comes and saves him, and and that whole situation. And he's eventually let go, and Belle goes to find her father, and. Basically, the beast kidnaps Bell. basically. And if you know the story of why the beast became the beast, there was a witch that came or an older woman that 
put a curse on him because he wasn't nice to her, which I don't think you really want to mess with witches anyway, so it probably wasn't a good idea. But um, as you can see, I watched a lot of the Beauty and the Beast. And, and so she, of course, you know the story. She falls in love with the Beast. By the way, do you know the Beast? Do you know his real name, his human name? I didn't either. I had to look it up last night. It's Adam. That was, that was, that's his, his real human name. And, uh, of course, he will stay a beast until he finds true love or if the last petal of the rose is hidden and protected by glass, when that falls, he'll stay a beast forever. And, of course, you watch the rest of the story. And there's singing in it and there's dancing. Here's my point. Is Gracie loved to watch it when the singing and the dancing was going on. It was great. But when the singing and the dancing stopped... And it was the, the movie was working on the plot. She didn't care. She would go over and she would play with her toys. Now, you expect that out of a two-year-old, a three-year-old, or a four-year-old, right? But here's the thing, is that as we grow, as believers, we can be that way a little bit, especially if we're not growing in our faith. And sometimes we have in our mind that we become a Christian and everything should be smooth sailing, that we shouldn't have a lot of problems, that there should be little suffering and that everything should go our way the way that we want it to go. But that's not the way it works out. And as long as we're getting the blessings and receiving the blessings when it comes to following the Lord, man, we love the singing. We love the dancing. We're Baptists. We don't dance. But maybe the church down the street loves the dancing, right? And so we like all the good parts about Christianity, but when some suffering comes or when some trial comes, we go, "Uh uh-oh, Maybe I did something wrong. And sometimes that can be the case. We're doing something we should not be doing and we're sinning. And man, God takes his hand of blessing off. That that can be true. But that doesn't mean that's always the case. Sometimes we're doing everything right. Everything we should be doing and we're living for the Lord. And man, we're hit with a trial. And the Bible doesn't say if you have a a trial. It's a matter of when you have a trial. We all will experience a trial. And there's this idea in Christianity that you should never have problems or should suffer for Jesus. And it's really kind of a type of prosperity gospel, which is really another gospel of the idea that, man, as long as you're serving Jesus and you're a Christian, you should be healthy, you should be wealthy, and your problems should be very minimal. But if you start having problems, if you start having health problems, then, man, there there may be some sin in your camp. And then that's the problem. Like I said, yes, sometimes it's because of our sin. Absolutely. But there is this prosperity gospel which is taught, sadly, on TV in some churches and in some churches, which tend to be a little more charismatic, that, man, if you have any of these problems as a believer, then you must have some sin in your life. When in fact, when you read God's word, not every believer was healthy. Paul wasn't always healthy. We think he had issues with his eyes. They weren't always wealthy. I mean, Paul worked a tent-making job so he could, that supported him in the gospel. Jesus was poor. And you go on and you look through uh, uh, different characters in the Bible. Not all of them were wealthy. Some of them were. Some of them weren't. It's not an indicator of your faithfulness and your righteousness to the Lord. And man, that is something that can really trip believers up. So notice verse 2. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity 
for great joy. I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't like that verse. I don't like that verse. When I have problems, when I have a trial that comes my way, my first thought is not yippee. It is not joy. But here's the thing. God is outside of time and space. He sees time from the beginning and to the end. He sees all the good and the bad. The only thing we have to live right now is the here and now. We know about yesterday. We know about last week. But we don't know about tomorrow. We don't know the future. God does. He doesn't know. We don't know all the difficulty that's going to come our way. And this is what happens when a trial comes our way. A trial reveals our attitude. See, a trial is some kind of trouble that breaks the pattern of peace, joy, and comfort that you have in your life. And man, maybe you're, you're in a role, you're in a good pattern, and everything is going well, and everything is going right, and suddenly you just have all these different issues and problems. Maybe you start having things, like maybe in one week, things just start to break, Right? No, 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 um, no lie. Like about two weeks ago, I had like four or five things break around my house. Some of them were weird things. One was my air conditioner upstairs. And this, like two days later, the spring on my garage door broke. Never had that happen before. And, um, and then something on one of our vehicles broke and needed repaired. And then there was something else all in a period of like two weeks. I'm like, what in the world's going on? And we can have those kind of things. Maybe, some, maybe you get a bad, bad uh, health report or someone is sick, someone passes away, and you wonder, God, what's going on? And so we see it's not a matter of if, but when. And the Bible says to count it all joy. How can we as believers count it all joy? Well, here's the good news. That as children of God, I know that God loves me. I know that he loves you. As children of God, we can trust in the Lord that all the things that happen to us, the good things, the bad things, the things in between, that those who love God according to Revelation 8. And it's conditional. If you love God, you want to try to obey God, right? So if you love God, he's going to take all all those things that happen to us and he's going to work it out for the good. There may be times... That you're looking around and you're going, I don't see how God's going to work this out for good. But we don't always get the recipe of what God is doing. We don't know how this bad thing maybe we dealt with. Maybe it's something evil and it wasn't from God. But man, at times in this world, we get caught in the crosshairs of evil in this world. There's some things that happen I don't understand either. Children with cancer, I don't understand that. But I understand this. I understand what the cross has done for us and that whether God gives someone a child five years to live, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 90 years, 100 years, compared to the light of eternity and the eternal life that God gave to us, that Jesus stepped down from from the utmost and came among us, came into our time and space, Emmanuel, God with us, offering salvation, giving his life for us. And even though there's some things here, I'm like, God, I don't understand this. I do understand what the cross did for me. And when these unfair things happen to me and some trials that 
can easily turn into temptations because I can be tempted not to trust in God through those trials. That I can go, God, because of how, because you saved me, because of, man, the blessings you have blessed me with, even when I'm blindsided by a trial, even when I'm blindsided by suffering or something that's just awful, I can go, God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for eternity. That in light of eternity, whether one gets five years on this earth or 90 years on this earth, it's short, it's minuscule compared to the rest of eternity. And I can be thankful that I'm saved. Because every one of us, we deserve death and hell. But man, those who repent and put their belief in Jesus Christ, he is saved. And our hope is not in our health. Our hope is not in politics, right? Our hope is not in what our bank account is because eventually you'll have no money. Eventually, eventually, unless the Lord tarries, your health will fail you. Unless the Lord tarries, you will die. You will have loved ones you love dearly that will die. And it's hurtful and we grieve and it's hard. And we may wonder, God, where are you, where are you at? This is the wonderful thing. It's okay to grieve as believers. But scripture says we grieve like those who have hope, not like those who do not have hope. And so we can put our faith and trust because our hope is in Christ alone. Like that song we just sang, that great hymn that was written by Bill and Gloria Gaither. You know, you know the story behind that song? They wrote that song and it was about their son who had died. That song was written out of pain. But it was because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And Christian, whatever trial you're in, because he lives, you can face. You can face tomorrow. Amen. So trials reveal our attitude. It reveals what we're depending on. And and trials quickly reveal who and what you're living for. See, as Christians, we are tempted to worry, and we all worry from time to time. And you know what worry really is? Worry is a warning light, a red warning light, warning us to pray. You know the beautiful thing about prayer? Prayer doesn't always change the situation. This is what I notice about prayer. Prayer changes me in the situation. It does. It reminds me that God is with me. It reminds me that God is not going to leave me nor forsake me. And that he'll walk with me through the fire. You know, God always answers our prayers. He does. Sometimes he says yes. He says no. Sometimes he says wait. It's not the right time. Or I have something better. And the fourth one is my grace is sufficient for you. He told that to the apostle Paul. In other words, I'm going to walk with you through the pain. He always answers our prayers. See, but we must maintain a godly attitude. To maintain a godly attitude requires maintenance. I remember when I was, uh, I don't know, probably in high school, there was one man I went to church with. He was an older man. His name was Larry. And uh, Larry, I remember he had this Ford truck, so we got that right, amen. And so he had this Ford truck, and I don't know how we got in this conversation, and we were talking about oil. And he's like, yep, I never change my oil in any of my vehicles. Remind me never to buy a used car from you, right? Now, maybe you've never changed oil before. Maybe that's not your thing. I work on enough 
vehicles from time to time from changing brakes to regret that I work on vehicles, if you know what I mean, right? If you've done any kind of metal work, at times you're like, why did I do this? Why, why did I bother doing this? But you know, you, that's how you learn, right? But if you've ever changed oil and it's on a vehicle that's been a while since it's changed oil, right? Now, the oil companies will go, hey, every 3,000 miles, your manual, most of them say 5,000 miles. My truck, which is a Ford truck, says about every, uh, I think every 7,000 miles, or maybe it's 10,000, they got 10,000 mile filters now. I don't know if they just, you know, want my truck to eventually blow up, so I go buy a new truck or not. I, I don't know, but, but this is what I know. When you don't change your oil and there is sludge in there, you go, oh, I see why this is not good for my engine. And when you never change that oil and there's nothing but sludge in that engine, it eventually is going to affect its performance. It's not going to go as fast. It's not going to be as quick. And Christian, when your attitude, and you have a choice with your attitude, amen, sometimes we can look at uh, each and every week of just living for the weekend. I love the weekend. Friday, man, it's great. Saturday, yeah, I get it. Some, some days are more fun than others, but this is what I also know, that each and every day God gives us, we are called to rejoice in it, even the Mondays. So maybe the Monday, instead of looking at it as full of dread, of looking at, you know what? I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm whole, and this is a day God has given me. I have a vehicle I can drive, and finding what I can be thankful about and rejoice in what God has given me. And counting it all joy has more to deal with your attitude than your situation. That's why we can count it all joy. Because God is in control. And if you're sludging ahead, it's time to change the oil. It's time to let the Holy Spirit do a work and enter and do a work on you. Here's the thing we see. Trials display our patience. Notice verse 3. It says, For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. We live in a world made of instant gratification. If you need a book and you think of the book right now, of course, after I'm done preaching, you go check it, go boom, boom, boom. You go on eBay, you can buy it and have it shipped to you. Go on, um, um, on, um, on Amazon and you could buy an ebook and download it and read it right there. You could read it out in the middle of the woods, out the middle of a field. You could find whatever you want to find. We like to find things right now. I mean, we live in an information age And yet, it seems there's times in which we refuse to be patient, to let things just cook. There's some things that are worth cooking in a microwave. By the way, I can cook some killer bacon in the microwave. Some of you are like, that sounds disgusting. Don't knock it until you try it. But there's some things that have no business ever being cooked in the microwave. A good barbecue, a good steak, right? It needs to be grilled. It needs to be in a barbecue, needs to be in a good smoker. You're not going to run down over to Woodstone or go to a schoolhouse barbecue here locally and go, you know what? I need some barbecue. And they go, oh, we're all out, but give us a second. We're going to throw it in the microwave. You'd get up and leave, wouldn't you? Because you know that's not going to be any good whatsoever. There's some things that take some time. And man, there's some things that God is working out in your life. And it may be getting a little hot. It may get a little uncomfortable. 
And you're wondering, God, what are you up to? Because I'm sick and being in this situation or in the middle of this trial. And God, I need you to do something here. Don't worry. Continue to trust in your heavenly father. There's something he's cooking, but he's not using a microwave. He's not using a microwave. It's something that takes a little bit of time. You know, they say that if you want something to be patient about, just pray for patience. And God will be like, all right. Here you go. And you have something to be patient about. But if we're truthful, we all have something, even without praying, that we realize we need to be patient about. Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's something that we're praying for or praying about that we want to see God do. And, um, And so James tells us something every Christian ought to know. Knowing a good result will follow helps us endure what brings a good, uh, to, to have a good result. And notice what it continues to say. It says, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What does this perfection mean? To be perfect. None of us are perfect. I've been a lot of, around a lot of godly saints, right? They're not perfect. What does that mean? It means mature. It means to grow. To go from childhood, or whether it's in your maturity of your faith, the practicing of your faith, the knowledge of your faith, that means to grow. Some of you right now, you may be 30, 40 years old, but you're new to Christianity, you're new to the faith, and you're kind of, spiritually speaking, young. You need some time to grow. Take some time. Continue to being in the Word, hearing the Word, reading the Word, praying. Get in a connection group so you can get around other believers that can love on you. But you know what is sad? From time to time, you have someone who's been in church for a long time, for a long time, and they never spiritually grow. They never spiritually grow. And, and, and you can notice it. And, and, and quite frankly, it's, it's kind of an ugly thing because it, they should be growing in their faith. Don't, don't waste your trials. Don't waste the opportunity to grow in your faith when those trials come. For some, for some, when it comes to trials, um, it knocks you off your cruise control. And let's face it, we like to be comfortable. We like to choose comfort over sacrifice. But we're on cruise control. That might be okay for a time and for a moment. But God loves you enough to put someone who's slow in front of you to make you slow down. There's plenty of slow people here in Florence, amen? There's plenty of crazy drivers in Florence as well. But So you're not on cruise control. Because we, man, the Holy Spirit goes, "Uh uh-oh, I see so-and-so, they're not growing. They're on cruise control. It's time to bring a trial. And sometimes God brings a trial to get you out of your comfort zone because you are not growing. And God loves you enough to bring that trial to get you focused on what you need to be doing. You see, faith, faith is like a muscle. It grows under stress, under weight. But if any of you have ever worked out before, it's not just about how much weight you can bench to activate that muscle to help it uh, get growing. But also what matters is your form. Huh. If you have bad form, you can injure yourself. If you have good form, you can end up building that muscle the correct way. And so 
when a trial comes and it comes upon everybody, are you going to have good form? What does that mean spiritually, to have good form? Well, you can go through the trial uh, screaming and kicking and blaming God for everything bad that's going on in your life, or you can check your attitude and go, God, what are you doing right now? That I'm going to go through this trial and this difficulty on my knees, praying and worshiping you and being in the word. Check your form. Because, man, if you're going to go through the trial kicking and screaming, you might just make a mess of your life and injure yourself and injure maybe even your family. So, man, check your attitude. Trials display our patience. Here's the other thing we see. Trials give give light to our dependency. Notice verse 5. If you need wisdom... Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. I love this verse. I really do. There's times in our life when we're going through difficult times, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know um, what to do next. And we wonder, man, will God even care about my little life? Will God care about my little problem? And maybe you think to yourself, I'm only going to bring the big problems to God. My friend, I want you to know something. God is God. And all of your problems that you consider small or great, they're all small to him. And he cares. He cares about those problems. And he cares about you. He really does. And we can go to the Father. And that's where we should go. But it reveals our dependency. As many have been battling mental health issues, some have run to alcohol. Some have run to a drug or a pill or this. Some have run to pornography. Some have ran to some other type of sin. They've run to something. And here's the thing. We all will run to something when a trial comes. Let that sink in for a moment. You will run to something when life gets hard, when life gets difficult. You're running to something. And as Christians, as Christians, A trial will reveal if we're running to the flesh or if we're running and being led by the Spirit to run to our Savior, Jesus. And it reveals our dependency. And maybe right now you're like, oh, I know I'm not running to Jesus. Man, Jesus must really hate me or Jesus must not really like me. And now he loves you. And he's, he's eagerly waiting for you to run back, to come back to him. He hasn't moved. He hasn't gone away from you. We do. We move away from him, but he never moves. I love what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse um, 15 and 16. It says, for we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice that he was all points, all points when it came to finances, when it came to relationships, when it came to sex, when it came to wherever he was, all points. He was tempted, yet he didn't sin. Hmm. Jesus understands you. And he, man, he went through trials more than we've ever gone through. He was tempted beyond anything we've ever, ever endured as well. And yet he didn't sin. He loves you. He knows about you. He's been in your shoes. So it says, come boldly. 
Don't go before the Lord and go, well, God, you know, I hate to bother you right now. I know you got a lot of other things going on. No, no, no. You can go to him and say, God, I'm not sure exactly always what to say, but God, I need your help. I'm coming before you knowing that you hear my prayers and that you're going to show me mercy and grace in my time of need. And I love that it says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. Not maybe, not possibly. He will give it to you. I love that. That's a promise. That's a promise in scripture. A promise that we can take to the bank and it will be given. See, trials also do this. Trials show your faith. It shows you where you're at. And if we're honest, um, it's been said, smooth seas make for poor sailors. And we, there's times in which when we end up going through some difficulty, it's God um, testing, or as you could say, preparing us, getting us set. And it's been said, and I've heard this said before, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Notice verse 6. It says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone, not in other things, not in your politics, not in your money, not in what you are controlling. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled. It doesn't say they're unsaved. This is talking to believers. This is talking to Christians. It's not saying that you're not saved and this, they're over here saved. And unsaved. No, it's saying, it's Christians, we can be tempted to depend upon other things other than Jesus, and our loyalty becomes divided. And it says, unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Whoo. Warning. I mean, talk about, there's a warning label here of like to go do your own thing in the middle of a trial and say, God, I'm going to do things my own way because this is, I'm going to try to control all of this. It's coming with a warning. It's coming with a warning. You're not going to receive anything from the Lord. This is why I say, this is why I say there's times in which when we decide in the middle of a trial and ends up leading into a temptation because we want to take over, we want to control that God can easily lift his hand of blessing off of us. And we miss out on what he has for us. And if Christian, if you think he doesn't do that, well, it says right here that we simply don't expect to receive anything from the Lord if you're living a life on the fence. You're either all in with Jesus or you're all out and serving him. And that can be a tough pill to swallow. Sometimes we like to get our Christianity and we get our church on Sunday, but the rest of the week it's like, God who? No. He wants all of you. God wants to be first in your life. He wants to be first in your family, first in your finances, first in your job. He wants to be in the middle of it all. Jesus wants to take over your life. He's not interested in being third or fourth. He's not interested in negotiating with you. It's not how it works. He's God. He wants, he wants all of you. In fact, Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who sometimes seek him. No, it says diligently, diligently seek him. Are you diligent when it comes to your faith? Man, if you're wondering why you receive little blessings in your life, in your faith, and you have a sometimes faith, you have a wavering faith. 
It doesn't have to be that way, though. And Jesus, and God, God, God the Father is, is trying to lead you and focus you on living completely and being completely sold out for the Lord. You see, when we live a life, when we're wavering, when we're double-minded, this expression, this idea, um, is what we see in Scripture, is when it comes to facing a promise of God, faith says God will do it. Unbelief says he will not. Doubt says he may, he may or not, who knows. And, and that's kind of the idea. But here's the thing. Unbelief, unbelief is the same as calling God a liar. Did you know that? It's scriptural. In First John chapter 5, it tells us this. First John chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 It says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given us his son. You see, God doesn't want you to be unstable. He doesn't want you to be just kind of floundering in your faith. He doesn't want you to doubt. And then, listen, if we're truthful, there's times we all, at times, we wrestle with doubt. We wrestle with doubt. We want, man, is God's word really true? Will God really come through for me in this area? And you have a choice. You can have faith and focus on him or you can continue to doubt. And this is what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to look around and go, but man, I don't see much of a reason for hope right now. And maybe you look around the world and you're going, man, there's a threat of war. There's a threat of a recession. There's a threat of this. There's a threat of that. I don't like this politic, politician or that politician and this. And you're going around and you're so focused and you watch too much cable news. And you're wondering, man, there's not much of a reason for hope. But here's the thing. This world is not our hope. Jesus is. Jesus is our hope. There was another man who looked around, and God has, had given him his word. It was Abraham's. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham looks around and says, well, man, I don't, I don't have any children. But notice what it says in Romans. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 through 21. This is what it says in, in Romans chapter 4. There we go. Even when there is no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. There was no reason. He looked around. He's an old man. He's like, I don't don't see a reason to hope. But he has kept hoping. He kept having faith, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. So, man, look at the stars. Look at the the, the amount of grains of of sand. Uh, You're going to have that many. Man, God's... Talking him up like, hey, you're going to have these descendants and you're going to be of a great nation. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. And Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in, his, and in this, he brought glory to God. And he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And what was true for Abraham is true for you. And here's the last one. Trials, they refine us. Believers who successfully endure trials are truly happy. Hebrews chapter 12, 
verse, uh, verse 9. It says, since we respected our earthly fathers who discipline us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our, um, of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline, God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline's enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for all those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. There's a story of a women's Bible study. And they were studying Malachi chapter 3 and came across verse 3, which says, He, talking about God, will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And this verse puzzled the women, and they wondered how this statement applied to the character and nature of God. And so one of the women said, I'm, I know a silversmith. I'm going to talk to him, and I'm going to see if he'll let me watch him purify some silver and see what he does. So the following the week, she called up the silversmith and she went and watched him work. He held the piece of silver over the fire and it heated up. He explained that in refining the silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were the hottest as they would burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. And then she thought again about the verse. He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. And she asked the silversmith if it was true that if he had to sit there in front of the fire the entire time, the silver was being refined. And the man explained, yes, because if I heat it too long, it will ruin. It will ruin what I'm trying to do. And the woman was silent for a moment. She asked the silversmith, well, How do you know if the silver is fully refined? And he smiled and smiled at her and answered, well, that's easy. When I see my image in it. And the trial that you find yourself in, it may be uncomfortable. It may be hot. And you're wondering, what is God doing? He's making you more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't waver. He's maturing you. He's shaping you. And in your difficult time, don't throw away God. Don't throw away Christianity. Look to him. Even if there's not much right now of a reason for hope, our hope is in Jesus. Let's pray. With our eyes closed, we're in an attitude of prayer. See, Pastor Lucas, right now I'm going through a trial. I'm saved, I know Jesus, but I am struggling. I'm going through a trial right now, and I just need prayer. We you raise your hand, show it to the Lord? Pastor, just pray for me. I see those hands. Amen. Many. Maybe you're watching online in that shoe. We're praying for you. Let us know. Messages. Maybe you're here and 
you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never repented of your sins and put your faith and belief in Jesus, you can do that today and become a child of God. Regardless of your past, regardless of who you are, He loves you and He wants to save you. Until you do that, until you become a child of God, God has no incentive. He has no requirement to help you. But the promises that we see in his word are given to all his children. Do you want to become a part of the the house of God? Do you want to become one of his children? Pray with me if that's you. Pray, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I repent of my sins. I'm putting my faith and belief in you, Jesus. From this day forward, I'm going to live for you. If you prayed that for the first time and you're giving your life to Christ, we raise your hand high. Say, Pastor, I'm giving my life to Christ. I'm not going to come down to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to rejoice with you and pray for you. Anybody? God, for those who raised their hands this morning, who are going through a trial, who are going through a difficult time, I pray that they've seen there's a reason for hope. There's a reason for hope. That what they're going through is designed to mature them. What they're going through is designed to help them. And may they trust in you with all their heart, soul, and mind as they go through this difficult time. God, I'm thankful that you never leave us, you never forsake us. As we walk through the valley, you're by our side. Reading us, helping us, and showing us in your word what to do. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you, church, for being here. If we could get the two center rows stacked up for Awana tonight, that'd be wonderful. Thank you all.